Okay, let's read in John chapter 4, and we're going to look at another evangelism experience that Jesus was engaged in, and just, just go through it and kind of point out some things. Some of the things have already been said in this testimony time that we'll look at tonight. But let's stand as we read, beginning in verse 1. John chapter 4 and verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, that's what the Pharisees were hearing. Though the information wasn't entirely correct, in parentheses we have a clarification, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. But the occasion was the Pharisees were hearing that, I mean, they were already threatened by John's following, the people that were, were supportive of John's ministry, John the Baptist. But now they're hearing that Jesus has more of a following even than John did. And so having heard that, it says in verse 3, He, Jesus, left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, I would take it for granted that most people, in your mind, you're already thinking geographically, um, because Judea is where he was, Jerusalem is the capital city of in the area, and Judea is in the southern part of the kingdom, and then you have Samaria above that, and then you go up into Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee is. And the more you think about geography, the more, you know, when you read things, it kind of makes sense to you. So he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So to go, to go from Judea to Galilee, you either have to go through Samaria or you have to go along the Jordan River uh, Valley to the east and kind of go up the Jordan River without going through Samaria. And Jews would sometimes do that because they uh, didn't get along with the people from Samaria. So he left Judea and departed into again into Galilee Verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. And that could be because you have to go through Samaria to get to Galilee, but I think it means he went to go through Samaria because he had business to take care of in Samaria. Verse 5, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. We'll stop reading there. All right, let's pray. Father, please bless our time together tonight in the Word of God, and we thank you for, the, for the, just the good spirit tonight, the good turnout. We thank you for the positive, encouraging testimonies about, Lord, sharing the gospel, and Lord, we just pray that you would just continue to work in our heart, that we would learn, that we would grow, that we would, that we would uh, be open and aware, as we've heard tonight, of those that you allow our paths to cross. And we see a great example of that here in our text. We pray you'd bless as we study it together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here we find Jesus with this uh, 
what, you know, we might could call one of these divine appointments. Um, would y'all like for me to use this microphone here? We're okay? All right. They're doing some popping or something, so... Um, you know, we use that terminology sometimes, a divine appointment. What we're talking about is when God specifically orchestrates our schedule and orders our path that we connect with someone who needs to hear. That doesn't happen every day. It probably happens more often than we're aware of. Um, what Jill shared a moment ago, that's an example of that. You know, where she's at a place, there's a person there, her heart is toward that person wondering where they are spiritually and and God actually worked it out you know what I'm saying and I don't think we ought to always sit back and wait for God to work it out we'll see in Jesus that he actually initiated the encounter but this is the way God wants to work so here Jesus is he's leaving Judea he's going north to Galilee and as I said this is this is the direct route this is as the crow flies from Judah going up to Galilee, you have to go through Samaria. And most people would understand that there's some definite um, um, prejudice between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. They, they did not respect them. They were looked down upon. But especially among the Pharisees, especially among the religious hierarchy, they felt themselves superior to the people of Samaria. But it says there in verse 4, he must needs go through. It was, it was of necessity that he go through Samaria. And he came to the city called Sychar in verse 5. And being weary in verse 6, he sat on the well. And so it's like we see the Lord working. You know, if we're looking at it, you know, looking backwards, we're seeing how the Lord is working. And really, you know, even his weariness contributed to this evangelistic opportunity. And you may never think of Jesus getting tired, but he got tired in, his, in this body of flesh that he had. It had its limitations. And so, so even his weariness, he sat down at the right place when this, when this specific woman walked up to the well and going to draw water. It says in verse 7, there cometh a woman to Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. Now, the first thing Jesus said to her was not, do you know if you die today, you go to heaven? You know, that wouldn't be anything wrong with saying that, but that's not what Jesus said to her. Jesus said, could you give me a drink? Uh, would you give me something to drink? Now, so we see he started the conversation. As I said earlier, you know, uh, God, God opens up opportunities, but that does not mean you know, that he doesn't want us to start up the conversation, that he didn't want us to initiate the conversation. And when he says, give me to drink there in verse seven, it has to be because we'll see this later in the scripture. You know, when I think of a well, I think a well, and I think the well has got uh, a rope. It's already got a rope. It's probably got a pulley on it. The pulley goes down into the, it's got on a bucket and it goes down into the well and that's all set. But apparently, that was not the case here. Probably these people, if you left the bucket there, somebody would steal it, kind of in Frank, Franklin County. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, look in, if you look over in verse 11, it says, um, 
the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. So you had to have your own, you had to have your own rope and to draw. You know, if you're going to draw some water, that does not mean you take a piece of paper and some blue ink and you draw water. It means you let the, everybody understands that, right? Draw water means you put the bucket down and you're going to pull up some water. And so uh, there in verse 7, she's come and Jesus asked her for a drink. Now, again, um, it's just a reminder to me that God can use some of the very basic of things to initiate a conversation with a person. It doesn't have to be, you know, it could be something simple. It had, this had nothing to do it, on the surface. This had nothing to do with spiritual things in her mind. He, now, he was thinking about a different kind of water, right? He's thinking about living water. He'll get to that. But it was just a basic thing to talk about. And I think is, you know, we, we can trust the Lord as we're witnessing, as we're sharing the gospel with people that are witnessing to people or giving them the truth or giving out a gospel track. You know, we can trust God to guide the conversation, but we don't have to just start necessarily with presenting the gospel. And so um, in verse, uh, if you look in verse 8, it tells us uh, in parentheses, that uh, the, just so we'd know where the disciples were. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. I, I just find that phrase so interesting. Uh, that all of the disciples would be willing to leave Jesus by himself. So they could all go get something to eat. Doesn't that seem a little strange? Do you think one of them would say, I'm going to stay back with Jesus. But not one of them stayed back with Jesus. And so they made a decision, and this is, again, is, I think it's important. They made a decision, a simple decision, we're going to go into town to get some food. But the decision they made robbed them of an opportunity to see Jesus working firsthand, dealing with someone, right? I mean, decisions matter. And so they're all gone to town. Then verse 9, this woman responds to Jesus, say, and when she, it says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, unto Jesus, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So this woman is taken, really, by his lack of prejudice, that he was willing, she doesn't know who he is, that he, she knew he was Jewish, but for him to cross over these um, barriers, these social barriers, these ethnic barriers, to talk to her struck her. She was curious about this. She, she probably anticipated that he would ignore her. Um, but again, what I see in that is and she doesn't know now what's, what she's going to know in a few minutes. But people, whoever they are, whatever the color of their skin, whatever their status in life, need to know that we care about them, that we don't look down upon them, that we see them as just as worthy of our attention and our time in the gospel as anybody else would be. And so verse 10, Jesus begins in verse 10 to transition the conversation to spiritual things. Jesus answered and said unto her, 
If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So that's a pretty packed uh, response by Jesus. He's, one, he's, he's obviously, and again, I don't, at this time she doesn't recognize this, we can recognize it, but he's beginning to help her to understand salvation. He wants her to understand what salvation is about. First thing he says is, if thou knewest the gift of God, if, if you knew what God wanted to do for you, if you knew what God was able to do for you, and he's just breaking, breaking into this conversation with gospel nuggets. And then he says, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink. He said, if you knew what gift I could give you, and if you knew who I was, you know, and again, I'm putting myself in her place. I wonder what she's thinking. Is this some kind of a celebrity? I mean, did this guy, who is this guy? But he says, if you knew what I had to give you, and you knew who I am, if you knew who I am, then he says, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So now he just drops that little nugget on her about living water. Physical water is absolutely essential for physical life. And living water is absolutely essential for eternal life. And she doesn't know what living water is, but and it's clear that she doesn't understand it. Look in verse 11. The woman saith unto him, when he says about giving her living water, the woman says, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. How are you going to get this water? And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou the living water? I mean, is it clear to you that she has, still has no idea what he's talking about? She has no idea, no clue. But he's just conversing with her. He's just talking with her. And, uh, and then she says, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well? That, that well goes way back, right? And drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. And so she's... She, this, her response reminds me of, of Nicodemus' response. When Jesus said, you must be born again, and he said, how can I? Must I enter the second time into my mother's womb? In other words, he doesn't get a clue. He doesn't understand at all what Jesus is saying. Here Jesus said, I could give you living water, and this woman has no idea. You don't even have a, you don't even have a bucket to get the water out of. How could you give, give living water? And I, I think this is a great example for us just about how presenting the gospel needs to be conversational. You know, it's not just having a canned approach. Nothing wrong with having verses that you want to share with a person, but this is conversational. It's just talking. It's, it's reasoning with her. It's uh, giving her tidbits of information that's vital for her understanding. Because he's going, to, he's going to connect the dots with her. Then in verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, he's going to make a distinction now about the water that he can give and the water she's talking about. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. The water you're talking about in that well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
So he's making sure she understands this, this, this water, you'll thirst again. You get some water out of there, you'll, it'll quench your thirst now, but you're going to thirst again. And this is an important thing uh, for us to think about tonight. The, the water that Jesus gives, when you drink that water, it has everlasting satisfaction. You know, people who say they have Jesus, but they're really not satisfied with Jesus, makes me think they don't really have Jesus because he satisfies. And uh, so, so having said that, then verse 15, the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. If you can give me, the, she's still thinking it's the water that's in the well. If you'll, if you'll let me, so it shouldn't surprise us when people don't understand the gospel the first time we go through it, right? It shouldn't surprise us. I mean, no, there was no better soul winner on the planet than Jesus, right? And yet he's this far into the conversation and giving her a lot of truth that we take for granted, but she, her, the, the light hadn't come on yet. She does, still doesn't see it, but, but Jesus is working with her. It's a wonderful thing to behold, really. And so she says, give me this. In verse 16, Jesus asked her a very interesting question. Jesus said unto her, go, or it's really a statement, not a question. Go call thy husband and come hither. Let's just, let's just hit the pause button. Go get your husband and bring him and we'll talk some more. And, uh, and we would think, what a, what a ridiculous thing to say. I mean, he got completely off track. He got distracted, whatever happened. Verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Which was true, but it wasn't completely true, right? She had no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. So she was not really completely honest, was she? She was partially honest. By the way, that, that happens a lot, doesn't it? People just tell you enough to get you off their back without telling you the whole truth. But Jesus gave her her marriage history. And that was a shock for her, I'm sure. Verse 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, why did Jesus do that? The simple answer is, I believe, that, that before a person can be saved, they have to see their sin problem. They, have to, they really have to, be, they have to see how much they need a Savior. And she's going to see that he is the Savior, but uh, he's, he's helping her. He's not hurting her. He's not, he's not trying to embarrass her. He's not trying to pin her, pin her down. Or, he's trying to help her. And, um, and you know what she said? And another thing he's showing her is that he's not, just, he's not just a conversationalist. He knows stuff, right? He knows everything. It's just like when Jesus, you know, said to, to Nathan, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you there. All of a sudden he's thinking, this, he knows stuff. And by the way, this happens in people's lives when they start understanding, you know, that, that God really knows me. He knows what I've done. He know, and that's not hurting the person. It's helping the person because they realize how much they need him. And so she, her, her estimation of him is going up because now she sees he must be a prophet. 
This man must be a prophet. Um, verse 20. The woman continues saying, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Now keep in mind, she's in Samaria. Jesus, the Jews, worshipped primarily, you know, the temples in Jerusalem. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she's bringing up the matter of religion, where her, where her religion is based, where she worships, where he worships. And in, in verse 21, Jesus is very direct. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. In other words, it's not just about where you worship, but look in verse 22. You worship, you know not what. You don't even know what you worship. We know that we, what we worship, talking about the Jews, for salvation is of the Jews. In other words, they're not a whole, and again, he's very direct, very blunt, but he, he says what you believe and how you worship is not true worship because salvation is going to come from one place, and that's from the Jews. And by the way, we, I, I don't think it's wise for us just to go around trying to attack other people's religions, but I think if a person is really going to get saved, and if they believe in a false way, and they're really going to get saved, they have to recognize that their way is false. You know, I've known people who were, who were brought up in the Catholic religion, steeped in Catholicism, who claim to have believed on Jesus and gotten saved and they stay in that Mary worship, I, don't, I, don't, I think there's something wrong with that. You can't, believe, you can't believe a lie and believe the truth and think both of them are the same. Things that are different are not the same. So Jesus, in a direct way, and I don't think a harsh way, he's just telling her there's only one place that salvation came from. And it's not the Jewish religion but he was born, he was a Jew, right? And it was the promise given to Abraham. And so he's, he's addressing the fact that her religion really was a false religion. And, uh, and you know what this is? This is paving the way for her to be saved. All this is paving the way for her to be saved. To see that he has living water, to see who he is, which she's about to figure out, to see that her religion is an error. It's hard, you know, you know this, it's hard for people to admit they've been wrong especially in their religion. It's hard for people to come to that place. And I think it would be wrong for us to say, you know, we want people to get saved, but, but it'd be wrong for us to say, well, you can, you, know, you can keep your false religion and just add Jesus to it. People do that all over the world. People need to, you gotta repent of being wrong. You gotta confess and ask God uh, to have mercy on you. So salvation is of the Jews, verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is. So he's talking about something that she would think is future, but now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him in spirit and truth. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we, we can say a lot about that, but I think as far as this emphasis on evangelism and, and witnessing to people, what, what I get take out of that is he's saying it's not about your religion. It's about having a relationship with God, your father, that you have a relationship with him. That you don't just worship him according to a religion. You worship him in spirit 
and in truth. And this woman, though, and this next verse is going to tell us this, this woman recognized that he's talking about something that in her mind is future tense, which is when the Messiah comes. Look in verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. That's the promised deliverer, promised to the Jewish people throughout the Old Testament scripture. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. He will clarify all this. He'll make, he'll make sure we all understand when he comes. And then just Jesus just blew her out of the water in verse 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. What a statement. What a moment, right? Wouldn't you just love to see the look on her face when he says to this sitting on the well in the middle of nowhere, just the two of them, and he says, you're looking at him. You're talking to him. Now, the conversation with her ends at this point, but now she knows. And, right? I mean, she knows. She knows what his gift is, the gift that I can give you. She knows who he is. If you knew who it is that speaks to you, remember he said that to her? And he said, You're, I'm, I'm him. You're looking at him. You're talking to him. And the woman gets saved, obviously. We'll see that as we read on. But to me, I love this story, and we're going we're gonna to go through the rest of this here quickly. But uh, because, it, because it just lays out for us how casual the conversation was, you know, they had this opportunity to have, uninter- inter- you know, a lot of times when you witness to people, you only have 30 seconds or a minute or, you know, you, you have to just say what you want to say and plant a seed. But it's obvious from this, they were in no big hurry. They're just sitting there talking and she's answering questions. And every time she says something, he takes her a little further and opens her eyes a little further. But verse 27 says that the disciples came up at that moment. They've got food. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? They were surprised. They, they thought it was a little unusual. He was conversing with a Samaritan woman, but they didn't question him about it. In verse 28, the woman exits. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. (laughs) He read me like a book. Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So obviously this woman had believed on him, right? And she was, first thing she did was wanted to tell other people. By the way, that's, that's a pretty standard reaction. It's, it's not always, but it's frequent. That when a person really gets saved, especially I think is they're, they're an old, like a teenager, adult, when they really get, they want to tell somebody about it. They want somebody else to know. Unfortunately, uh, sometimes after we've been saved for a while, we're not, we're not quite geared that way. We should be, but we're not. But 
but but but we see this a lot of times. Same thing with the, you know, the gathering demoniac. As soon as he got saved, same thing. Andrew, as soon as he found out who the Messiah was, he goes and gets Peter. I mean, it's just a common response when somebody hears and understands the gospel. They want to tell somebody else. So they be, they begin to come out of the city in verse thirty to come and find out. Now, in verse thirty one kind of introduces a teaching moment, and, it, and I, it, re, it relates to this, so I want to go through it. It's not, it's not unrelated. It relates directly to this. When he was teaching the disciples a lesson about evangelism. Now, where have they been? They've been? They went for a food run. They've gone to get food and left him. And so what is he going to say to them? Look in verse 31. Let's read through it. In the meantime, while his disciples... In the, meantime, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. We got food. We want you to eat. You need to eat. You need your nutrition. They prayed him. Verse 32, but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Now, again, they think someone brought him food, right? He found something. He had something stashed away. Therefore said his, the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? <laughs> Isn't it interesting how we can read on something and we know the answers and we're familiar with it and it's so clear to us, but right there they lived in it and they thought somebody must have brought him food. <laughs> Verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So he's, it basically he was just saying, you know, what I'm doing is really... This is my purpose. This is why I came. This is what, this is what you know, I, I survive on and thrive on. And what is that? To do God's will. To do, verse 34 is a great verse. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. This, my purpose is to do what God wants me to do. And by the way, every one of us ought to have the same purpose. We want to do what God wants us to do, not what God wanted Jesus to do, what he wants us to do. And it's an important thing to do. But then verse 35, he, he really makes the application toward what they're, what they're living in. Verse 35, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now we'll read a couple of verses and some people believe that, you know, there was a time of the year when the wheat was coming into harvest and they could see it. He's used that as illustration. I'm not 100% sure that's true. It could be true. But the point he's making is, you know, there's an urgency about what we're doing. You know, while they went to town to get food, he's busy doing what he ought to be doing. And he says, don't make this mistake, men. And this, let's, let's kind of put that uh, application to our own life. Don't make the mistake of saying, you know, there's only there's four months left and then's going to come the harvest. Like procrastinating. Don't because you know, if you um you know, we're in September in another month or so, if you were to drive through many of the fields around here, whether it's corn or soybeans. If you're further up north and west, it'd be the beet fields. But you, people are going to be harvesting. You, and when it's harvest time, you can't wait, right? And that's what he's saying. There's an urgency about it. 
And they're people who plan, they're going to plan to start witnessing someday. You know, maybe, maybe sometime I'm going to get serious about this. What Jesus is telling these guys is, you know, you can't, the harvest has to, be, has to be harvested when it's time to harvest it. You can't be putting it off. You can't just be wasting time waiting on it. So it's, a, it's, a, it's really, a, I think, a lesson to them about urgency, about the danger of procrastination. But we ought to all, we ought to all take that in for personal encouragement to our life, and that is it's always harvest times. And then he teaches a lesson about that in verse 36. He that reapeth, that's what he just did with this woman. That's what they're doing, the harvesters in the fields. He that reapeth receiveth wages. He gets rewarded, paid for what he does, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. He that reaps gathers fruit, eternal fruit, unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor, other men labored, and you're entered into their labor. So he just gives them this lesson about the importance of everybody being involved. Like we talked earlier, you know, some of the testimonies just shared tonight even. People had opportunities to share the gospel or to plant a seed. And you may never see the fruit of that, but someone may. Someone else may come along and water that seed. Someone just out of the blue. You know, we're not the only people that witness. They may hear a radio broadcast, or maybe they have a, a, a loved one that talks to them. But all of us are to be sowing and reaping. It's a team effort. Every one of us are to be doing it. We don't always reap. At the, it's not ready to reap. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But we ought to all be sowing the seed. Isn't that clear? I think it's very clear. And um, we, you know, what if everyone, what if every one of God's children, what if every person in America, for instance, who's truly a child of God, would just go through their days trying to be perceptive, trying to be sensitive to how God could use us to witness? What if everybody did that? I really believe that people that Jill witnessed to recently that person would find someone else that would, at a grocery store or a neighbor down the street or somebody else that would witness to that person. You see what I'm saying? But a lot of times we're not, we're not all doing it. So we can't do it all, but we ought to do our part. It's a team effort. And everybody, whether they sow or reap, Jesus is very clear, they would be rewarded. Now, now he switches back, verse 39, to what happens as a result of this woman getting converted. Look in verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, her testimony, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. And I'm sure she was pretty convincing. He told me stuff that he could never know. He read me like a book. So when the Samaritans were come unto him in verse 40, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there, or stayed with them for two days. So for two days, he's going to spend in that place, witnessing, teaching, explaining truth, and said unto the woman, now we believe, or excuse me, verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. Verse 39 says many believed. Verse 41 says many more believed. Not just because of what she said, but because of his word, because of what he said. 
and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, not just because of what you said, for we have heard him ourselves, and we know that this indeed, this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. They knew the Messiah would come. They were not ignorant of that. They recognized that he was not only the Christ, but the Savior of the world. They were sure he was the Savior. And it's a wonderful story. I tell you, I just love reading it. And I think it's, uh, it's a reminder to us, again, about from Jesus exactly how witnessing can take place. Now, I don't know how many more of these lessons we'll have, but I, I, I really believe God has led us you know, to do this, to emphasize this, to keep hitting it, encouraging each other. And, um, and I think, that, and so I just want to encourage you not just to, not just to hear the lesson, not just to think, you know, that's pretty neat what Jesus did, but to be more than hearers, but be doers of the word. Have gospel tracts with us, be ready to witness to people. And, um, you know, sometimes I've had people actually say, and I probably may have said it, I don't know, it's been a long time, but I might have said it. You know, don't, don't get to talking about religion. But Jesus talked about a religion, right? And I find that that just comes up sometimes. You know, when you're talking to a person, it just comes up about their religion. Religion can't save you, but sometimes you can tell about a person's spiritual condition when, just when they tell you what their religious background is, right? You can automatically know some things about them. But, but as we've heard over and over, and as we all know, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ.